0: Are you ready for the Quantum Age?
1: Humanity's next step in evolution?
0: Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you to the extraordinary platform of evolutionary voices for the quantum age.
1: Let's explore, learn more about this upcoming age where we bridge science with spirituality.
0: Where potentiality meets reality.
1: Where we take compassion into action.
0: Our Trailblazers and Visionaries will ask the whys, the what-ifs, while igniting continuous possibility.
1: Come along with us into an age beyond what we know today where we can grow together in unity
0: consciousness. Experience evolutionary voices for the quantum age Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on dreamvision7radio.com. Welcome
1: to Awakening to True Happiness with modern day mystic David Hoffmeister offering you the how-to to spiritual awakening by addressing on a practical level answers to your deepest questions. David Hoffmeister is a world-renowned teacher of A Course in Miracles and has been traveling the world for the past quarter of a century, offering his wisdom to audiences who invited. On this show, you'll hear recordings of David's best live talks, inviting you into an experience of deep wisdom and true clarity. To learn more about David, visit his website at davidhoffmeister.com. Com. Awakening to True Happiness with David Hoffmeister is part of Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 radio network.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome. Today we have a movie that is a classic. Uh, someone was recently on a podcast was saying, what's the movie, what's the movie? I said, well, I'll just tell you a hint. Uh, it's a Steven Spielberg movie. You know you get top, top quality with Steven Spielberg. Some of you might remember that there was a team of Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. Oh my gosh, those three people together made the most spectacular movies ever. Uh, and today we are going to watch the movie from 1989 called Always with Richard Dreyfuss and Holly Hunter and John Goodman. And what is particularly helpful about today's movie is Today's movie is, you might say, Jesus helping us go at the jugular of of the ego. In other words, you you know if you have dandelions in your yard and you don't want them there, you have to take the dandelions up by the root. You can't just chop off the top with a lawnmower because they'll they'll grow back. And with the ego, you have to go all the way to the root. You have to go all the way to the jugular to be free of it. And what is the ego's jugular is the, the, its most boasted gifts, it's, its weapons against the light, its weapons against the mind remembering Christ and remembering God Well, Jesus, out of his 31 chapters in A Course in Miracles, he spends chapters 15 to 24. That's right, nine chapters on one topic. And there is no other topic that gets nine chapters in a row. So you know that when Jesus is talking about these nine, they're kind of placed in the middle of the text. Like he warms you up, and then he goes, okay, I'm going to pull the blinders off here. And when I pull the blinders off, we're going to look deeply into the core of the ego's belief system. And this is the part that you will be most resistant to. Back around 1990, 1991, I spent a lot of time up at the Foundation for A Course in Miracles with Ken and Gloria Wapnick. And my friend Dorothy, who I talk about a lot, she was up there and I met her and she was, uh, she was working you know, on the, uh, in the garden or working in the kitchen, but she told me that whenever Ken would do workshops on these chapters, uh, special love and special hate relationships, that she said the funniest thing would happen that, sh- that the kitchen team would have to buy seven times as much food for these workshops. People would stuff their faces. You know, you ever had done that when you're nervous and you start the munchies and then you just, you're nervous, you don't feel too good, you munch and munch and munch and then two hours later you're munching. Uh, That happened to me one time at a Course in Miracles group where I started to go really deep into the metaphysics and suddenly it got so tense for everybody in the room that they all lunged for the snacks on the coffee table at once. <laughs> it was like no mas, no more. I'm mean, going to stuff some food in there because it's too. We're getting too deep. It's getting too threatening. And what what basically what Dorothy was saying was the resistance to what we're look, going to look at today is enormous. So don't be hard on yourself if you go have a hot fudge Sunday after the movie today. Uh, just chalk it up to a little resistance and be kind and gentle and then uh, just be careful you don't go for an apple pie afterwards, you know. <laughs> we don't want to have any uh, anorexia bulimia issues coming out of today's uh, session because this is deep stuff and that's why Every other Saturday, I'm just going to show the classics. I'm just going to show our all-time great classics From the Movie Watchers Guide to Enlightenment. This is only the primo stuff, absolute primo stuff. It's absolutely free so you can just join in and I'm sure other people will hear about it as it ripples out, but we're going to go very deeply into it. So in today's movie we have the main character, is Pete, he's a firefighter who fights fires from the sky, uh, drops like a cold, like a reddish clay onto fires, uh, fire, uh, basically just to put them out. And, and uh, he has a girlfriend uh, who's played by Holly Hunter, her name is Dorinda. And then we're going to have another character that's going to come in throughout the movie named Ted. So, in one sense, you know, you've heard me talk about the threes sometime. You know, in this world, two's company, three's a crowd. Well, the threes get used in a lot of movies because Jesus has to have us look a close look at our ideas of, of possession, of jealousy, of exclusiveness. Because while those things are very common in special relationships, Possession and exclusiveness and jealousy are unknown in heaven. These are all generated by the ego to keep us from knowing agape, eternal, uh, unconditional love of, of heaven and of Christ, which is our true identity. So the entire world is made up of, of fear, false evidence appearing real, of illusions that were made by the ego to take the place of divine love and divine truth. And so what we're dealing with with perception is we're dealing with an attempt by the ego to substitute a different reality in place of, of God and heaven. And that's why this projected world is tied so much into fear, guilt, pain and shame because it's, it's a, an attempt at making a substitute that will take the place of God's love. And you know, sometimes people have told me an acronym for ego, when I've traveled around the world people will say, oh yeah, ego, edging God out. <laughs> this is like trying to edge God out completely. I'm talking about complete amnesia, making up a darkness that is so dark, so pitch black, that, that light cannot enter. And that's what the ego's attempt is. The ego's attempt to make an alternate reality, which we now are told obviously from Jesus that this is not reality at all. It's just an attempt at making a substitute for eternal life with God. So also we have a, a character that's a friend of Pete and Dorinda named Al, played by John Goodman. And we have Hap. Uh, Hap. Audrey Hepburn. Is anybody else a, a beautiful fan of Audrey Hepburn? What a gracious, loving, angelic uh, presence was Audrey Hepburn. You know, she just had a presence. And this is her last movie that she appeared in, and she's appearing in an angel like character. Isn't that beautiful? Her last movie is, is an, like an angel character. That's a perfect happy dream symbol to have, uh, to play an angel character if you're an actress. And some of you know that, yeah, there's a lot of those things that happen. You know, Peter Sellers, probably one of the greatest greatest comedians in the history, his last movie was being there. It was all about being in the present moment and, and not buying into any of the projections of the world, or uh, uh, Spencer Tracy and Katharine Hepburn, you know, guess who's coming to dinner? What a movie, Sidney Poitier. These are like classic spectacular movies. That was, he was married to Catherine Hepburn and, and uh, I think he died about two months after that movie was made, finished. Uh, you see, even the actors that are all doing this for God, they come here to make their contributions and then before they take a bow and make their exit, they land one great contribution that you'll never forget that will help you release the world and and remember God. It's, it's very memorable. So Hap, Hap is short for happy. How about that? An angel called Hap for happy. So I thought to start this movie off today, before we get into the movie, I want to really prime your mind, prime our mind for the spiritual awakening. Because this is definitely a relationship movie. We're going to see it acted out. We'll see the special love relationship acted out. The special love relationship is interrupted occasionally by special hate, and and we've seen that in relationships on earth oh I love you, I love you, you're the greatest, you're the only one, get out. <laughs> you know? You're the one, you're my valentine forever. Uh, never speak to me again. If you call me again, I'm getting a restraining order. <laughs> you know, it's, it's bizarre what we have invented. The ego invented a bizarre world with bizarre relationships and everything about this projected world is an invention. That's, that's a workbook lesson, I've invented the world I see. Even the words are, are totally inventions. In fact, Jesus says that in one, his workbook lesson, 184, he says, you know, for a time, you're gonna just have to be willing to let the words be spoken through you and used through you to point to the unreality of the world. But then he's gonna tell you, Actually, I want you to go into the quiet and have quiet spaces where you let go of the words, <laughs> completely. All of them. <laughs> because God didn't invent words. Those are an invention of, of the ego to basically guard against true communion. You know, ever have that moment where you're just gazing in someone's eyes and it's, it's wordless silence and you feel all the euphoria of heaven? You don't even need to put the words I love you in there because it's it's a given. You feel it, you experience, you know that intense love. You don't even need need the words I love you because it's so deep. But actually the Holy Spirit is trying to help us re-engage with, uh, we'll call it true communication with the Holy Spirit, which is really just let the Holy Spirit speak through you, smile through you, laugh through you, hug through you. Let the Holy Spirit use what the ego made, the body, the words, everything, the images for the purpose of releasing your mind from the images entirely and seeing them anew with the Holy Spirit's uh, forgiveness, interpretation. So. In order to really prime the mind for this movie, I thought I would give some beautiful quotes from the course because jesus is is going to help us out here. We really have to realize that that we need help to escape from this fragmented perception that that Jesus told us in the course, you needed no help at all to make it. you kind of you made it out of fear, you made it out of terror you made uh, you made nightmares out of a horrific feeling of shame and pain and guilt. You, had, you needed no help making it, but you do need help escaping it now. You, you actually do need help. That's why every day, you know, symbolically, we should be down on our knees just saying, please use this day to clear away as many grievances, as many judgments, as many hallucinations as I can every single day. Holy Spirit, come in my mind and vacuum my mind. <laughs> Get the, you be the vacuum cleaner, just vacuum it up. And the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, I will do that, but you have to be willing not to protect these thoughts and beliefs. If you start making cases and you start trying to justify the grievances, then the Holy Spirit has to wait. Because the Holy Spirit can't is not like a sentinel that's coming in to destroy something. The Holy Spirit is like a soft gentle light that waits for dark thoughts to be released toward the light and then they dissolve in the light. But this is not a search and destroy mission. Uh, This is not like the sentinels in the the matrix. So let's just say that we're going to delve into the part of A Course in Miracles that that the ego doesn't want you to see. it's like the, in the Revolver movie, where, wherever you don't want to go, that's where you'll find him. Well, we're going into chapters 15 to 24 today because we want to expose the ego. We don't want it hiding and dictating our emotions and, and our actions. Chapter 16, the special love relationship is the ego's chief weapon for keeping you from heaven. It does not appear to be a weapon, but if you consider how you value it and why, you will realize what it must be." Anytime Jesus uses those three words together, it it should bring your mind to attention. When when, When Jesus uses ego's chief weapon, If the ego is is the belief in death, wouldn't you want to know what the ego's chief weapon is for keeping you believing in death instead of eternal life, experiencing eternal life? So the special love relationship is the ego's chief weapon. He goes on to say, in the next paragraph, the special love relationship is the ego's most boasted gift and one which has the most appeal to those unwilling to relinquish guilt. Ego's most boasted gift. Hmm. If the ego is a death wish, and what we're going to look at is the ego's most boasted gift, I would say we're looking at the key to the kingdom today. Because if you come close to God, but you still are a little frustrated, it's got to be the ego's chief weapon and the ego's most boasted gift is like the guardian, the sentinel that's protecting you from seeing the ego for exactly what it is and giving it back over to the Holy Spirit. So there has to be something that the ego made that's so attractive that you would even deny heaven for this attractive gift. And you know, We've had lots of opportunities in lots of movies. I remember I was showing a Marilyn Monroe movie, and I think maybe she sang that song, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Well, we're talking about a gift in the mind, not diamonds. But there must be something in the mind that is so alluring and so sparkling, almost like diamond or gold in the world, but it's in the mind. Something that's so sneaky and so attractive that you choose it and you don't realize you're denying all of heaven by this one choice. You're just trying to kind of tell yourself, oh, it won't hurt that bad. And then you, you reach for it and it hurts. Not always. Uh, we'll find out. Sometimes it seems to be have the illusion of pleasure, but it has a wicked pain <laughs> that goes with that that little snap of pleasure. The dynamics of the ego are clearest here for counting on the attraction of this offering, the fantasies that center around it are often quite overt. Here they are usually judged to be acceptable and even natural. No one considers it bizarre to love and hate together and even those who believe that hate is sin merely feel guilty, but do not correct it. <laughs> not that an interesting line? They merely feel guilty, but do not correct it. It's almost like the special love relationship is trying to live with guilt. It's almost like trying to placate your mind going, uh oh, I've got this horrible ontological guilt that I'm never going to be able to get rid of, so uh, maybe if I dress it up and have a little spice and dice in there, it won't be so bad. Jesus is like, you've got to correct it. You you have to correct it, You you can't avoid it no matter how you dress it up. He talks about in the course, painting rosy lips on a skeleton. Remember that part in the course? Wow, that's pretty graphic, painting lipstick on on a skeleton. woo That's a strong image. And here we are in Mexico where they actually do, <laughs> they paint them up pretty well down here, the skeletons and everything. But but that's, Jesus is just saying, this is not going to work. You will never be content with the day of the dead. You will only be a, a tent, content with atonement and the glory of God's love. <laughs> And so, he says, this is the quote, natural condition of of the separation, and those who learn that it is not natural at all seem to be the unnatural ones. What does he mean by that? Well, I think he's talking about all the mystics and saints, Jesus and everything. Did Jesus seem to be unnatural in this world? Yeah, he did. You know, sometimes people say, just act normal. Well, Jesus didn't act very normal and he didn't speak very normally, and his miracles weren't very normal either, but Jesus and the Ramana Maharshis and the Yoganandas and everything, these are not natural in the world. Yogananda Yogananda would go into Samadhi deep meditation, you know, and his eyes would get glossy when they were open, and he would go into these deep Samadhi experiences and even his devotees, the monks that came to follow him got a little spooked, but he would say, "Just alm um, into my ear if you get too too afraid and i 'll come out isn 't that tender and loving it 's just tender and loving, but everything that we think of in this world as relationships uh, are are basic all the romantic aspects all the the exchange of gifts and the exchange of compliments and the all the things that go on to the, the whispered nothings in, into the ear, and all those things, those are very unnatural in heaven, even if they seem natural in this world. I was reading an article uh, by uh, Kim Ang, who's married to Eckhart Tolle, and uh, and it was interesting. She had a few interesting things to say. Uh, Kim Eng said, with the concept of relationship come expectations, memories of past relationships, and further personally and culturally conditioned mental concepts of what a relationship should be like. Then I would try to make reality conform to these concepts, and it never does. And again I suffer. The fact of the matter is, there are no relationships, period. Ah, that Kim, oh, Holy Spirit's ripping through Kim. The fact of the matter is, there are no relationships. There is only the present moment, and in that moment, there is only relating. How we relate, or rather, how, we, how well we love depends on how empty we are of ideas concepts, and expectations. There it is. Kim is, is sharing the ages of sages and, and wise masters from all the centuries have said the same thing. Buddha said the same thing, empty your mind. What you think you think, what you think you know. And after she said all that, she turns to uh, her husband. <laughs> husband. Recently, I asked Eckhart to say a few words on the ego's search for love relationships. Our conversation quickly went deeper to touch upon some of the most profound aspects of the human existence. Here's what he said. What is conventionally called love is an ego strategy to avoid surrender. You are looking to someone to give you that which can only come to you in the state of surrender. The ego uses that person as a substitute to avoid having to surrender. The Spanish language is most honest in this respect. It uses the same verb, te quiero, for "I love you" and "I want you." What is te quiero? I always say te amo. is <laughs> I know. I, uh, te amo. Is I, I love you. I, I love you with no conditions. So so here they're pointing out that, he's pointing out that Takeru, I love you and I want you are used as the same, synonymously. To the ego, loving and wanting are the same, whereas true love has no wanting in it, no desire to possess for your partner to change. The ego sh- singles someone out and makes them special, It uses that person to cover up the constant underlying feeling of discontent, of not enough, of anger and hate, which are closely related. These are facets of an underlying deep-seated feeling in human beings that is inseparable from the egoic state. When the ego singles something out and says, I love this or that, it's an unconscious attempt to cover up or remove the deep-seated feelings that always accompany the ego, the discontent, the unhappiness, the sense of insufficiency that is so familiar. For a little while the illusion actually seems to work, then inevitably at some point the person you singled out or made special in your eyes falls, fails to function as a cover-up for your pain, hate, discontent, or unhappiness, which all have their origin in that sense of insufficiency and incompleteness. Then, out comes the feeling that was covered up and it gets projected onto the person that had been singled out and made special, who you thought would ultimately save you. Suddenly, love turns to hate. The ego doesn't realize that the hatred is a projection of the universal pain that you feel inside. The ego believes that this person is causing the pain. It doesn't realize that the pain is the universal feeling of not being connected with the deeper level of your being, not being at one with yourself. The object of love is interchangeable as interchangeable as the object of ego wanting. Some people go through many relationships, they fall in love and out of love many times, They love a person for a while until it doesn't work anymore because no person can permanently cover up that pain. So obviously uh, Eckhart is echoing what Jesus is teaching us and what this movie by Steven Spielberg is ultimately going to show us in a, a very transcendent way is that what we've been searching for, we will not find. You remember from the Bible, it said, seek and you shall find, Jesus said, knock and the door shall be opened. And the ego's plan of salvation is seek and do not find. Seek in the form for eternal love and not find it. Because love, ultimately we've said, God knows not form and when you seek for love in an object, You are trying to make an object or an object of possession to take the place of an eternal state of being. And it will fail. Let's pull off uh, another one here. Uh, There's a section called The Holy Instant and the Laws of God. And then Jesus said today, he, he subtitled it, Where No Man or Woman Has Ever Gone. That's a nice subtitle the holy instant and the laws of God where no man or woman has ever gone. It is impossible to use one relationship at the expense of another and not to suffer guilt. And it is equally impossible to condemn part of a relationship and find peace within it. And here's the, the, the main line, if you remember one line for this movie today. Under the Holy Spirit's teaching, All relationships are seen as total commitments, yet they do not conflict with one another in any way. Perfect faith in each one for its ability to satisfy you completely arises only from perfect faith in yourself, and this you cannot have while guilt remains. And there will be guilt as long as you accept the possibility and cherish it, that you can make a brother into what he is not, because you would have him so. What does he mean by that last thing about the possibility and cherishing it, that you can make a brother into what he is not? That's just trying to make a brother into flesh, instead of the spirit that they are. So, to see a brother as a body means that you see yourself that way. And Jesus simply was a beautiful demonstration of simply going beyond the body and beyond the five senses to the actual reality of spirit. So he saw the Christ in everyone and everything. It didn't matter what they seemed to do or or didn't do. You know, they brought the woman uh, who they said, the Pharisees said they caught a woman in the act of adultery and then they tried to trap Jesus and say, and what do you have to say of this woman? Knowing that Jesus was, was talking about the Ten Commandments and emphasizing the first two, and he was actually trying to uh, to bring to life the commandments of the Torah in a living experience, but they thought they would trap him because the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not commit adultery. They caught her in the act, and then Jesus basically said he who is without sin let him cast the first stone because jesus knew that the christ doesn't commit adultery the christ doesn't even have a body to commit adultery <laughs> the christ is pure innocence pure eternal love and that's why he he answered their question with a question he let he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Because Jesus knew that Christ was eternal love, Christ would be casting no stone. And then when all the men dropped their stones and they walked away, then the woman herself came to Jesus and said, "And Lord, what do you have and what do you say of me? And he said, you know, he said, go your way and, and sin no more. In other words, you are divinely innocent Now stay in that innocence. Your sins, in reality, have not happened because all sins are in bodies and the Christ is not a body. So he was simply looking at her and speaking to her from the Christ Presence to the Christ Presence knowing we are innocent. We are forever innocent in our Father because our Father created us as spirit. So that's why he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was totally identified in the spirit and not identified with the body at all. Is the Christ a man? No. Is the Christ a woman? No. Was the Christ ever a man? Actually, no. Jesus tells us in the Course, when it says in the Bible, the Word was made flesh, he says, strictly speaking, this is impossible because he knows, of course, that's what he was teaching that divine mind and divine light and love never enters the body. The body's like a puppet that the ego made and the body can be used by the Holy Spirit like it was with the body of Jesus to demonstrate the Christ, but, but spirit never enters into matter. There's a, another uh, beautiful being of light called uh, Mary Baker Eddy, you know, She said, there's no mind and matter, there's no life, truth, substance, intelligence and matter. She was echoing what Jesus is teaching in the Course as well. The Word was made flesh is just talking about a, a demonstration, but the Word of God is, I am as God created me, spirit, and that never enters flesh. So everything of this projection is definitely a hallucination. And when Jesus says, forgive me your illusions, he's actually telling you to forgive history. He wants you to actually go into the holy instant and actually forgive history. Forgive the apostles, forgive Mary Magdalene and the women's corps, forgive Jesus, the body, forgive the Bible, forgive the New Testament. While you're at it, why don't you forgive the Old Testament too? You see, he's asking us to forgive history And accept ourselves as the Christ, the one Christ, the one Christ we always have been, always will be. This is how deep it goes. He's actually telling us this present moment is literally all there is, and there is nothing else. You have so little faith in yourself because you are unwilling to accept the fact that perfect love is in you, and so you seek without for what you cannot find within. I offer you my perfect faith in you in place of all your doubts but forget not that my faith must be as perfect in all your brothers as it is in you or it would be limited gift to you." He's telling us we have to basically stop searching outside. He says, seek not outside yourself, seek not outside yourself, for it will fail and you will weep each time an idol falls. Heaven cannot be found where it is not, and there can be no peace excepting there. Each idol that you worship when God calls will never answer in his place. There is no answer you can substitute and find the happiness his answer brings. Seek not outside yourself, for all your pain comes simply from a futile search for what you want, insisting where it must be found. What if it is not there? Do you prefer that you be right or happy? Be you glad that you are told where happiness abides and seek no longer elsewhere. You will fail but it is given you to know the truth, and not to seek for it outside yourself. No one who comes here but must still have hope, some lingering illusion or some dream that there is something outside himself that will bring happiness and peace to him. If everything is in him, this cannot be so, and therefore by his coming he denies the truth about himself. And seeks for something more than everything, as if part of it were separated off and found where all the rest is not. This is the purpose he bestows upon the body, that it seek for what he lacks and give him what would make himself complete. And thus he wanders aimlessly about in search of something that he cannot find, believing that he is what he is not, so in the movie today, we will see that that Pete is, as I said, is a firefighter putting out forest fires, and uh, his buddy al is is also a firefighter and uh, and his girlfriend dorinda, she also flies planes. But she has this deep love to be with Pete (laughs) and uh, the risk of of flying into uh, forest fires, flying very low into the flames in gullies and valleys uh, with a plane in order to drop this, uh, this kind of Red clay in order to put the fires out is, is very risky and dangerous. And, and this is bringing up the feeling of loss. She doesn't want to lose her partner. And this is a hallmark of special relationships. The underlying unconscious belief is the fear of loss. Why do people spend so much time people pleasing except they're afraid to lose the object of their affection? You see? You see, the people-pleasing wouldn't even come into play unless there was a fear of loss underneath. And loss can occur in many ways, where somebody just says goodbye, or they leave without saying goodbye, or they die, or they just disappear. Uh, It doesn't matter how the form goes, as long as the mind believes in the ego, the ego is the belief in lack, it's the belief in loss, it's the belief in scarcity. And you start to see that interpersonal relationships where you put all this faith onto a body or two bodies or several bodies or whatever, you can see that this is the ego's strategy to keep you from remembering the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, Dorinda is very frightened that she will lose her partner, Pete. And then we're going to see a third character coming in and and this is Ted. And and Ted is going to come, we'll see in the movie, to deliver a birthday present uh, as part of his job, fly, deliver a birthday present to Dorinda for her birthday. And basically uh, he, he is very drawn also to uh, Dorinda, but we'll see as the movie goes on that this movie is an absolute classic for undoing all the aspects of specialness. Um, Exclusivity, jealousy, privacy. Uh, We're gonna see the main character, Pete, uh, say the words, you you know, that's my girl, and Uh, the Spirit will use that focus on, that's my girl, that's my girl, that's my girl, in a way so that when Pete is in a different form, we'll say, (laughs) not an earthly form, uh, he's going to be used in a way where he has to speak what he wants to learn. He has to teach what he wants to learn. He has to actually learn how to give, truly give, because the angel will tell him, nothing that you did just for your personality self, you, can, you don't take that with you. Only what you have given is what stays with you, because only the thoughts of God can be given and received. When you try to share the ego, it's like trying to share nothing, and, and you actually can't share nothing. That seems to be contradicted in the ego's perception because we seem to see uh, ego alliances all the time, but but basically Jesus is saying is, no, when you believe in the ego and try to share the ego's thought system, you have a private mind with private people and private worlds, and that is a private hallucination that has nothing to do with forgiveness and nothing to do With reality. It's basically saying that that whatever you're perceiving in this world is coming from a filter of ego, and it's just your own belief in private minds and private thoughts, and everyone in the world acts out that egoic belief. Jesus even says the ego peoples the world with so when, the, when he uses people as kind of a verb, the ego peoples the world, he's basically saying that's what projection is. The characters of the past are just shadowy figures, and yet when you believe they're real human beings, you get upset because it seems like they're attacking you from outside. <laughs> there, there, there is an external attack going on. But, but the body is, is external, It's the, it's the peripheral part of the mind where perception is. Jesus says the body is outside you, but it seems to surround you. And then he says, seek not outside yourself. Don't try to find salvation in bodies. You will not find salvation in bodies. That, that is an attempt of the ego to make a solution to the ontological pain of the belief in separation. So, the world was made to offer an alternative reality which isn't really reality, and it's, it's like it's just an alluring attempt to try to avoid accepting the atonement and realizing you're a perfect creation of God. Even though they have had different perceptions of, of what the relationship should be, and that always is the case with interpersonal relationships because private worlds never meet. You you can seem to share aspects of perception like a house or a, a bank account or children or family or whatever, But the, but this is a world of projections and fantasies and what Jesus is showing us is the mind that believes in the projection is afraid of surrendering and opening to God's love. So even in their case, you know, they both kind of share what they're feeling. She's like feeling, you know, I can't go on like this. Um, either you're going to agree to uh, I'll, she says she threatens to learn how to fly tankers herself. He says no. She says, "Oh, I make a deal. I won't fly the tankers. I won't go that route. But, but here's what I need from you because of the fear of loss it's so high." And then he capitulates and says, "Oh, let me share you this idea. Try to keep an open mind." And he he joins in the fantasy of the future of Flat Rock. Uh, to, and joining in fantasies can only Uh, weaken the fear but it doesn't eliminate the fear because the fear doesn't have anything to do with the future and the fear doesn't really have anything to do with the past. It's the fear of love. It's the fear of redemption. It's the fear of the light that is the greatest fear of the sleeping mind. And even to try to join in fantasies or illusions may minimize the fear momentarily because there's like a, a momentary agreement. She was basically offering the threat as soon as he said, no, I'm not going for it. And then she ch- said, let's, ch- let's talk about something else. You know, it was too, the fear of loss is, is so extreme, but the fear of loss is really not what it's about. It's actually the, the, the fear of the light. It's the fear of reality. It's the fear of giving up fantasies for reality of spirit. So Jesus says in in chapter 16 the special relationship is a strange and unnatural ego device for joining hell and heaven and making them indistinguishable and the attempt to find the imagined best of both worlds has merely led to fantasies of both and to the inability to perceive either as it is. The special relationship is the triumph of this confusion. It is a kind of union from which union is excluded, and the basis for the attempt at union rests on exclusion. What better example could there be of the ego's maxim, seek but do not find? So when Jesus says in the Course, minds are joined, bodies do not, he means it literally. He means that literally we're we're one mind. We, We live and have our reality in the mind of God. And the attempt to join bodies or private minds with private thoughts is the attempt to make a compromise approach to find happiness, to join heaven and hell. Well, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is within, it's a pure heaven, it's a light of love, abstract love and light. I had three revelatory experiences years ago where the whole world disappeared and everything was nothing but light. And that's, that light is the light of reality. But, all attempts to forge a relationship in the external, which is what the physical, projected world is, in the projection, is a futile attempt to join Heaven and Hell. You can't join Heaven and Hell, in fact the Bible even says, perfect love casts out fear, but basically Jesus is saying, if you bring truth and illusion together, one will disappear, the illusion part, and the truth, the light, will remain. So we can see in this in this movie that that there's they're acting out all the attempts to try to make it work. I've heard people say too relationships require a lot of work. You have to work at them and work at them and work at them. That's really describing the ego. If you have to work at at love, then it's not love. <laughs> it never was. Love is is of god love is simply what is it doesn't require work it's the compromises and the attempt to mix fantasies with spirit that's where the conflict's coming in it's trying to have the best of both worlds it's like the ego said well you threw away heaven so you might as well make make the best of it uh with earth with your relationships and your bodies and everything on earth you might as well make the best of linear time because that's God's not going to let you back, the ego says, and basically as long as that is believed to be true, try to make the best of it. I mean, I think there's even a part in the Bible that says, eat, drink, and be merry, for one day we shall die. That's not very po- positive. Do you find anything positive in that? <laughs> eat, drink, and be merry, so one day? It sounds like avoid, 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 because you're dead anyway. And that's basically what the ego is saying is, make the best of the scraps of guilt of this world because you're you're excluded from heaven now. And the ego, that's what the ego is, that's what its voice will tell you because it is the belief in separation. It believes the separation has occurred and now it's saying, look at the world. It projected the world to be a cloaking device, a veil of false images to keep the belief in separation hidden in the unconscious mind. I always like to remember too, the problems are never interpersonal, it's never really between people, it's perceptual. It's perceiving a fragmented world is what the problem is. It's cracked perception. I I love the beginning of that uh, workbook lesson 184 the name of the lesson is, the name of God is my inheritance, but, but just the first paragraph is so helpful for us because just the first paragraph of that workbook lesson reminds us that it's a perceptual problem. Jesus says, you live by symbols. You have made up names for everything you see. Each one becomes a separate entity identified by its own name. By this you carve it out of unity. By this you designate its special attributes and set it off from other things by emphasizing space surrounding it. This space you lay between all things to which you give a different name, all happenings in terms of place and time, all bodies which are greeted by a name." So basically what Jesus is telling us is the special love relationship is an attempt to exclude union. Union is God. Union is, I and the Father are one. Union is spirit. That's the only union. He makes this very clear in his workbook lesson where he basically says, I am one self, united with my Creator. And he says, you believe there are different kinds of love, but there aren't. There's only one love, and that's God's love. That love, that, that's why Christ is, is joined in that love, because the Father's will and the Son's will, the Christ and, and the Creator and God, share the same will. It's for pure love and light and happiness. It's heaven. But this world is an attempt to make another will apart from God. It's trying to do something that's actually impossible. It's trying to make a false identity. It's trying to make false relationships. It's trying to make false achievements, false sense of worthiness. Basically, it's trying to prove that union can be found in the substitute for love. The world is the substitute for love, it's a projection of error, and now the attempt to seek outside in that projection is an attempt to find happiness and joy and love in what was made to cover over love. You know, it's it's like uh, it's like if you if you caught fire and and your clothes were on fire, and your shoes were on fire, and your hair was on fire, and you had a choice, you could jump in a pond or you could jump into a forest fire. And Jesus is saying, trying to love and form is like trying to jump in. You're on fire and you're jumping into a forest fire to put it out. (laughs) He's just, without using the word stupidity, let's just say that the the human race is a projection of ignorance and the ignorance is the ego belief in the mind. It's not like the people are ignorant because they're just projections. But the ego belief that peoples the world, that's where the ignorance is. Ignorance simply means not knowing. If you don't know who you are, then that's the one thing that that would be the worst thing to be mistaken about. Because if you're a creation of God and now you're claiming ignorance, then that that's just claiming uh, you're denying God. You're denying God and God's crea- creative power and ability. So the, everything that is pursued, that's why it's called the ego's chief weapon. That's why it's called the ego's most boasted gift is because we can see there's a lot of attraction and passion and there seems to be playfulness and fun and and there's witty banter going back and forth. Although I do notice in their relationship they do like to launch the, the I call them affectionate insults. She calls him a fathead and he's got a uh, a pighead. He's pigheaded. He calls. Uh, this is typical of relationships on Earth. I think they're trying to be affectionately insulting. But you see the contradiction. What what is so affectionate about an insult? You know. If you're if you're uncovering the belief in the mind, you have to start to realize that even this love hate relationship. You know, she sees him coming in. He almost died coming in with his plane when when his propellers stopped. And so what does she do? She marches down there and jumps in a plane and goes up and flies wild and crazy to prove the point of how insane uh, his actions were. That's not really the most sane answer to insanity. Oh, I'll show you how insane that is. <laughs> you see? <laughs> That's, that is This is the ego's relationships. Only in projections is there such inconsistency and such uh, absolute insanity, contradictions in terms, contradictions in emotions. There's nothing stable about the projected world. There is nothing stable.
1: Thank you for listening to this edition of Awakening to True Happiness with modern-day mystic David Hoffmeister. You can access more of David's teachings by visiting his website at davidhoffmeister.com. Tune in to David again next week on Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age, heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network.